Well, on Wednesday, we're gonna continue our study through Mark and we're in Mark chapter 14. So why don't you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 14 for today's study. We draw a smaller text out of our upcoming Wednesday study on these Sunday mornings, but uh, we're gonna bounce around this chapter if you'd allow me. Uh, I'm gonna show you some stuff uh, here that uh, uh, is kind of a, as you look at a sort of a, a zoom out on Peter's life, uh, we're gonna take a look and hopefully learn from Peter. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, failure um, is not a person, it's an event. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm, a, I'm such a failure, I'm a failure. But a, a failure is not a person, it's an event in your life. It's something that happens. Um, I remember probably the biggest failure that really you know, sort of rocked my world when I was 16 years old. I spent that whole previous year saving up my money, you know, bucking hay and doing some little odd jobs here and there. And I finally saved, I think, I think it was $1,300. And I bought a Volkswagen, 1971 Volkswagen Type 3. Uh, if you don't know what that is, I brought a picture so you can understand the car um, that I drove. This is a, pretty much the way it looked. Um, it was... Um, it was this vehicle right here. Maybe you've seen those. They're not as much on the road anymore. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, I was so excited. I had a Volkswagen Type 3, pancake motor in the back, all that stuff. Well, long story short, the day I got my driver's license, um, I took my Volkswagen, uh, my mom, you know, because I had to have an adult with me to get, drove down to the DMV June 7th. I think it was around 1982. I uh, got my driver's license uh, and drove back. And the, the thing I was so excited about that night I was gonna go to a, a, you know, a band uh, practice rehearsal time that I had. But you know, all my best buddies were all like three or four years older than I was at that time. And I always was mooching rides with people and I felt like such a you know, mooch. And so I was so excited, I was gonna drive myself to, uh, to this uh, band practice and I was so excited. So I got in my Volkswagen that evening and took off. And I was just, you know, you know that first time when you're 16, you're driving like, oh, I'm finally an adult freedom as I was driving down the highway. But as I was driving by our church there in the country road of Highway 238 in Southern Oregon, I, was, I drove by the church and I thought, I wonder if people will see me driving. Uh, and so I looked, I looked over to the left as I was driving and, and, uh, and sure enough, a bunch of my friends were out there. Uh, I think there was a wedding or something going on that evening at the church, and, but I noticed a bunch of, so I thought, I'm just gonna toot my horn a little bit, you know, hey, what's up, you know, I was like, yep, it's me driving. Uh, that was, it, was, it was, you know, there's a scripture that comes to mind, pride goeth before destruction uh, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, anyway, I was, I, was, I was waving and going, I wonder if they're seeing me. And, and suddenly I saw all their faces. They looked almost kind of horrified. Um, and as I realized what had happened, there was a Volkswagen bus in front of me that had stopped and was turning left and was waiting for oncoming traffic. And so as I was waving, I smashed in, 45 miles an hour, uh, smashed into the Volkswagen bus that was in front of me. Uh, I brought a picture of my car uh, uh, after that. It was, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Actually, this is, this is funny. I, I was searching because I wanted to find a picture, but I found this picture. This is, this is not my car. This is a picture I found on Google, but this is exactly how my Volkswagen actually looked, just like that. Um, so I did get the driver's plate, uh, license plate of the car in front of me. I just was able to get it right here, you know, right, it was, it was really close to my face. Um, but, um, but, you know, the, the, the thing is, I, 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 was, I was so dejected, man. Talk about failure. And I remember just sitting there, uh, you know, just for that millisecond thing, what just happened? My knee went through my stereo that I just bought for the Volkswagen. Uh, my steering wheel was bent upward. Um, back for you young people, they didn't put airbags in these cars. Uh, they just gave you metal. Um, uh, that's what they gave you. And so um, I was a little sore the next day, but, um, but all my friends from church came running out. Oh, Brett. I'm like, get out of here. Leave me alone. Can we pray for you? No, get out of here. Like, I was so embarrassed, you know. It was a horrible, horrible moment in my life. Well, I knew everybody. It was a little town of Roosh, Oregon, population three. You know, it was like a tiny little town. And uh, everybody, I knew the sheriff, the sheriff. Oh, Brett, I'm so sorry. You know, yeah. But uh, anyway, the sheriff was trying not to give me a big ticket and stuff. But um, the next day I, I was at work at my dad's construction site and the, the sheriff drove up. And he said, Brad, I, you know, the, the people are complaining. I didn't cite, give you a citation. So uh, here's your ticket. Reckless driving, 300 bucks. For a 16-year-old kid, not only did I lose my car, but 300 bucks was like, in my mind, I won't be able to save that for the rest of my life. $300, ugh, you know, it was just so brutal. And, um, you know, felt really, really horrible. Well, long story short, um, 
You know, a buddy of mine in church found out about what happened. Um, I, I had never been so dejected and sad. Like I was just kind of like, you know, you're 16, your whole life's done now, you know. Um, but Bill Brennan, a nice guy in our church who owned an auto body shop, he said, uh, Brett, you know, I know they totaled your car and it's worth like $5, but, um, but uh, bring it in, we'll, we'll, we'll tow it into the shop and maybe you and I can put some elbow grease and, and we'll, we'll fix this thing up. And Bill was so gracious, uh, you know, and he'd have me come in after school and I'd do some grinding and sanding and uh, stuff like that. But he did most of the work, honestly. Um, but by the end of that summer, uh, my Volkswagen looked shiny and new. It actually drove better than it did before. The alignment was great and everything. I think I fixed the alignment uh, somehow <laughs> in that wreck. But, um, but um, you know, it was, it was a reminder that, you know, my failure was not um, fatal. I thought it was a fatal failure in my life that I would never be the same again but my failure was not fatal. And, and it was um, something that I realized that I just had to go through in my life. And I remember that next school year, I got to drive in and everybody's like, ooh, I like your Volkswagen, Brett, you know. Uh, and, uh, but they didn't know the drama that I'd been through. Um, but failure's part of the deal. And the question is, how do you deal with failure when you face it? Because you will. Um, the Bible is interesting. When we read about the Bible characters, the heroes of the Bible, the Bible doesn't pull any punches when it comes to failure. Um, think about it. Like when you think about the failures in the Bible, um, think about Noah, for example. He was a hero of the Bible, saved the world, humanity from the flood, um, <clears throat> built an ark. Like he did so many great things. But how do we see him going out in the story? Well, it's the part you didn't color in Sunday school where Noah find, found himself drunk, naked in his tent. There he is busting a move and uh, his sons see him partying down in his tent. And he ends with this kind of failure story. And, he, and one of his sons ends up being cursed forevermore uh, because of Noah's um, indiscretion there. Uh, and he goes down in, in kind of a failure sort of fashion. Um, even, you know, the father of faith, Abraham himself, he did a lot of great things. He was called the father of faith in the Bible. He's also called the friend of God. But um, as it turns out, uh, Abraham failed when he didn't trust the Lord. You know, it's funny, he's called the father of faith, but in his very area of strength, faith, where did he blow it the worst? He blew it in the area of faith. The Lord said, I'll give you and Sarah a promised son. And so they started getting antsy saying, oh, we need to help the Lord along. There's no baby coming. So, um, you know, as Abraham sleeps with Sarah's handmaid, uh, Hagar, and ends up having a child through her. And that was a big failure. You shouldn't call a child a failure. Well, if you know the story, uh, you know, Ishmael was the baby. Isaac would be the promised child through Sarah that would come later. But Isaac and Ishmael didn't get along and Ishmael became the father of the Arab nation and Isaac became the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham's failure is still reverberating through all of history to this day. The Arab-Israeli conflict today is because of Abraham's failure. That's a huge, huge failure and the Bible records that for all of history to remember. What about the great hero of the Bible, Moses? Moses was a great leader, but he also blew it in his area of greatest strength. The Bible, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses wrote, I am the meekest man on the face of the earth. I kind of remind myself of Moses, <laughs> meek and humble. Like, isn't that funny that he says, I am the meekest, like he wrote that in the Bible. But he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it was legit. He was a meek man, but where did he blow it? Remember that day? Uh, when the children of Israel were complaining again, murmuring against the Lord, and they said, we're gonna die out here in the wilderness and we're gonna die of thirst. And you brought us out here to die, Moses. And Moses started yelling at the people and he smacked the rock with his rod when he was supposed to speak to the rock that particular time. And he said, you rebels, King James. If you look at the original, you know, it's literally morons. You morons, must we fetch water for you? He says, who's we there, Mo? Oh, well, me and the Lord. Uh, we're gonna fetch water for you. And you know, the Lord gave water to the people and they all survived. But then the Lord calls Moses over and says, you failed. And because of that, you're gonna fail to do what you, you're accomplished. Your, your accomplishment was meant to be to bring the people of Israel into the promised land, but you're not gonna be the one to do it. Um, Joshua's gonna be the one after you to bring the people in. What a huge, huge failure for Moses. Um, and we could just go on and on. What about David. David was a great victor in the battle against Goliath. Um, but he had many failures in his life, whether it was committing adultery and then trying to cover up his adultery with murder. He murdered the woman's husband, Uriah the Hittite, and tried to cover it up. 
Um, and, and you know what's interesting about you know, David, uh, he had all kinds of other failures. I wonder if he felt like a failure in that story um, that we read about there in 1 Samuel 21. Do you remember when David was running for his life from King Saul? King Saul wanted to kill him. The Jews, uh, led by King Saul, like David was running from his own king. Um, and so David has nowhere to go. In this particular part of the story, he literally has nowhere to go. So he runs to a Philistine city called Gath. Why would David run to Gath? Um, does anybody know who, what famous person was from the city of Gath? Goliath, the giant that he killed when he was a younger man. But he goes to Gath and he stands outside the city gate because he's got nowhere else to go. He needs help. He, he needs room and board. So he goes to Gath and the men of the city say, wait a minute, isn't that David, our enemy? Go get the king. So they went and got King Achish and Achish looks over the wall and sees David. And, and so what do you do when you got the one who killed your hero of your town? And by the way, Goliath had sons that were also giants in that same city. Um, so what do you do? You're standing there as David going, I'm standing in front, what am I doing here in front of Gath? So what does David do? Well, let me demonstrate for you what David did. He stood there and he went like this. <laughs> Brad, are you, are you really our pastor? We're so embarrassed. Um, <laughs> No, that's exactly what David did. The Bible says he feigned madness and let spit run down his beard and he started scratching at the gate and thinking, ah, acting like some crazy man. Do you ever wonder if what was going through David's mind when he was doing that? I was like, how did I get here? I'm acting like a madman, drooling down my beard and scratching at the door of the city of Gath. And the king just said, ah, oh, whatever. Do we need another madman in, in Gath? Whatever. And they all walked away. Uh, so his plan worked, sort of but he finds himself in a place of being a big loser, a failure. He's now in this enemy city. He goes from there to a cave and he goes and sits in a cave, the cave of Adullam. And there he is sitting in the cave of Adullam when suddenly an army starts gathering. People started going, and, and do you guys remember? They were men that were also failures. It says that these men were three things, men in debt, in distress, and discontented with life, and they all came to David. Wow, it's funny how failure begets failure. But one thing about all four, all four of those guys, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David, um, they all kind of made a comeback and they were able to pick themselves up and keep moving. The final person in my list here, you could do more by the way, but I'd like to point out Peter. And Peter had a massive failure in his life. And this is where we are in our story here in Mark chapter 14, Peter's failure. Always, you know, poor Peter, we've already seen him. If you've been in Matthew and Mark with us, We've seen him always putting his foot in his mouth and saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. But this is probably Peter's biggest failure. And um, how he responds to this failure is uh, a noteworthy lesson for us today. So um, in Mark 14 here, we pick up the story. Jesus has just sang, sung a hymn up in the upper room. Uh, you know, it's, it's the Last Supper. And now he's headed down to the Garden of Gethsemane. But on their way, Jesus starts telling them, you guys, you guys are gonna be offended by me tonight, this very night. You're gonna be scandalized, is the Greek word. Scandalizo is the Greek word that Jesus used. You're gonna all run like sheep scattered from the shepherd. And the disciples hear this, and Peter doesn't wanna have any part of that. He's like, I, I won't do that. That's where we pick it up in verse 29 of Mark chapter 14. It says, but Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended or scandalized by you, yet will not I. This right here is Peter's first mistake, thinking he was beyond failure. Are you a person that thinks you're beyond failure? Oh, I would never do that. Ha <laughs> ha. Not me. That's Peter. The Lord Jesus told Peter, you're all gonna depart from me and like sheep running from a shepherd. Um, and this is a mistake we make. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 reminds us, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he what? Fall. Uh, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. We'd already talked about that. But the Bible warns if you think you're really strong. In fact, it's funny how not only the Bible characters, but that's where you and I will fail. In our area of great strength, often that's the place we end up failing. But Peter here, he thinks, oh, there's no way I would do that. Uh, um, in fact, um, in Philippians chapter three, verse three, we're reminded that Paul says we're supposed to have no confidence in our flesh. Zero. Zero confidence in our flesh. Um, but Peter says, I'm not gonna leave. And then, and then check out what Jesus says um, there in verse 30. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Uh, 
Um, uh, now this is a fancy King James way of saying, uh, before the rooster crows, uh, you're gonna deny me three times. Um, um, and, um, and then Peter says in verse 31, but he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Um, you know, it's funny how Peter is definitely a leader among the disciples and Peter says, I will die before I'll you know, deny you or, um, or flee from you. Um, do you think Peter probably meant this in his heart? I think he did. I think there's a lot of people like us that you know, um, are full of good intentions and think, well, I would never do that. That's what Peter's saying. And he's got confidence in his own flesh to not do what Jesus said he's gonna do. And we're gonna find out it'll be just a little girl that'll actually make him do. It doesn't even take much. Just a little girl saying, hey, this guy was from Galilee and he's gonna deny Jesus. So it's an interesting thing. Um, one thing you and I should always be aware of is we might think we're strong. We might think we have resolve, but be careful. Um, when you're in the moment, you never really know what you're gonna do in, until you're in the moment. And you know, Peter probably felt this. I felt like in my life, I've always had these lines that I've drawn from the time I was a small kid to the present. Have you ever noticed that the older you get, it's, it's shocking the lines you've been willing to cross over the years? Um, you know, it starts fairly innocent, but it becomes pretty dastardly and evil. I remember when I crossed a real you know, bright line that was in my life when I was a little kid. Uh, my parents only allowed a few television programs growing up, Little House on the Prairie and Gilligan's Island. I remember when they uh, added the Waltons to our uh, list of uh, watching, viewing, enjoy enjoyment, the Waltons. And that was the line. Uh, there was no other shows that we were allowed to watch. Well, one day I went over to my buddy's house after school, Mike Kellington, um, uh, later became a CIA agent. We don't know where he is right now. Um, it's a true story. Uh, he was really a smart kid, Mike. But, um, but, um, but I went over to Mike's house and they had their TV on and Mike said, hey, let's go watch TV. And so we plopped down and I couldn't believe it. You know what we were watching? I was crossing a bright line in my, from my parents, Fantasy Island. Now, if you're a young person here, uh, that would be a, like the that'd be like Little House on the Prairie today compared to the shows that are on TV today. But uh, it was racy, and it was, it was you know kind of this sultry sort of weird island where people went, and um, there's a little guy the plane the plane trip bump 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 bump. Anyway, um, uh, what was that guy's name? Uh, tattoo. See, you watched it too. You watched. <laughs> see. See, you, all you guys that said that you watched little. Yeah, you you saw the little Fantasy Island. Ricardo Montebon. Um, but I remember feeling so guilty as I was sitting there as a 10-year-old kid, you know, with Mike Kellington watching, uh, you know, this, this horrible, evil show. I'd crossed the line. Um, but, you know, as your life goes on, you're like, oh, I crossed that line. So what's the big deal if I cross another line? And pretty soon, you know, like, you know, it's amazing how the older you get, you realize you, you've, you've passed those lines. And Satan will be right there to whisper in your, you're a sinner. You're a loser. You're a failure. You've broken your own rules. And um, he wants to leave you with a feeling of condemnation. Now, remember Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Um, now, um, you know, Peter does this. And then, and then, you know, he says, I will never deny you, but is he gonna cross those lines? That very night, he's gonna do that. So now you fast forward the story, Judas and the guards and the high priests and the chief priests all come you know, to apprehend Jesus in the garden. And what happens? Well, the story goes, you guys know, Peter pulls out a sword, the Bible says. Now, there's a funny note here. I just wanna add to this for you Bible people. This is kind of funny. Um, in, in Mark's gospel, uh, do you guys remember who's the really, you know, the author of Mark? Well, we know it's John Mark who penned the gospel of Mark, but who was the one who gave John Mark his information? Anybody? Peter. Peter was the guy. So a lot of people look at the gospel of Mark as sort of from Peter's perspective. Now, when it tells the story about the sword in Mark 14, 47, it says, and one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote the servant of the high priest. One of the disciples, uh, it was Peter. Now, this is funny because Matthew, in Matthew 26, 51, it says, one of them drew a sword. In Mark, one of them. In Luke, even, one of them drew, smote the servant of the high priest. But have you ever noticed that John and Peter were competitors? Like in the Bible, you sense that, you know, like remember John wrote about, and Peter and John went to the tomb. John got there first. 
Peter came sucking air <laughs> after a long run to the tomb, but I got there first. Like, like it's just so funny um, how there's a, it seems to be like there was a little bit of competition there, but, but um, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke says, one of the disciples drew a sword, but John says, it was Pete. <laughs> In John 18, 10, then Simon Peter, gives his full name, like when your mom used your full name, Brett, Evan met her, like you, you knew her in trouble. Simon Peter, having drew a sword, smote the high priest's servant's ear. Now, um, this was dumb. This is another failure. This is the beginning of his failure. His first failure was thinking he wouldn't fail. His second failure is drawing this sword and he, and he whoosh, zoros it up. Now, now you understand this sword wasn't a big, you picture a big battle axe, Peter going, shh, you know, like it wasn't that. The, the Greek word for the word sword here is a funny little word. Uh, it's, it's not really our English word, so we kind of have to go into it, but it's um, machira. And the word machira is just a large knife and it's in the feminine, interesting, uh, in the feminine in the Greek. Um, so basically you got uh, a kitchen knife, kitchen knife here, Martha Stewart living kind of knife. Uh, it's not like some big hot, you know, war, warlord sword or something. <clears throat> he just pulls out a thing, little kitchen knife and and he goes, and he's not even good with it. He chops off the guy's ear. And Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. And then Jesus reaches down, picks up the ear off the ground, sticks it back on the side of the guy's head and heals the guy. So, so far, Peter's failing on every level. Um, and by the way, once you start sensing failure in your life, it's amazing how that will lead to further failure. It's, it's there where you start making really bad decisions. Um, once you've failed once, uh, it's easy to fail even more uh, exponentially. So with all that, then we fast forward to verse 50. Look at verse 50. And it says in verse 50, uh, and they all forsook him and fled. Um, you know, this is interesting. They all forsook him. Remember the, all the disciples after Peter said, I will die before I'll deny thee. And all the disciples said, yeah, yeah, what he said was the same here. Um, so, so you need to note that all the disciples fled. All the disciples failed. But now Peter, we find him in verse 54. We find him, it says, and Peter followed Jesus afar off, even into the palace of the high priest and sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. You see, now Peter's on the path to failure as he's now in the house of Caiaphas and he's warming himself by the enemy's fire, kind of trying to blend in. He's trying to be Mr. Covert. Um, the tendency to follow Jesus afar off is something I've noticed is what happens to the person who's failed in their faith. And failure can lead to following Jesus from a distance. There's some people that won't even come to church because they know, well, I sinned last week and I did this and that. I got drunk last night. So there's no way I'm gonna be able to go to church and feel good about it. And if I go to Athey Creek with all those people sitting in those chairs and all righteous, holy people, and if I go there, I'll be struck by lightning um, and, and I'll be exposed to the failure that I am. There's people that, that follow Jesus afar off because of their failures. Um, meanwhile, he's cozying up with the enemy and with, with people that he shouldn't have been hanging around with. Jumping ahead, um, verse 66, we go ahead a few hours now. He's been warning himself, the trial of Jesus has been going. But in verse 66, as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, and thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied saying, I know not, neither understand what thou sayest. And he went out to the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again and a little after. And they that stood by said again to Peter, surely thou art one of them for thou art a Galilean and thy speech agreeeth thereto. In other words, <clears throat> we know your Galilean accent. Remember they were kind of, people from Galilee, uh, the Jews thought they were a bunch of hicks. They had sort of a backwoodsy sort of uh, accent that revealed that they were Galileans. You're a Galilean, your speech betrays you. Verse 71, but he began to curse and to swear saying, blankety, blankety, blank, adding that for drama. But he says, I know not this man of whom you speak. And it uh, says in verse 72, and the second time the cock crew and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, before the cock crow twice, <coughs> thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. This is that moment I had when I was sitting, standing on the highway uh, with my car crumpled and no hope and my failure. 
Peter's at this broken moment and he just, here's a big fisherman, a big tough fisherman who's now weeping. Um, and this is his place of, I think, brokenness. You know, it's interesting because at this moment, um, something else happens. In Luke chapter 22, we have, not in Mark here, but we have an account that Jesus, it tells us that Jesus at this moment turned at look and looked at Peter. Can you imagine being Peter? There you are weeping and then you look up and then Jesus turns and looks at you. Ugh. How do you think Jesus looked at, this depends on how you read the Bible. And if you know your Bible well, you probably know how Jesus looked at him. But there's a lot of you that probably think, oh, I think he would have probably looked at him like this. <laughs> like, you know, told you, you loser. Failure. <laughs> Is that how Jesus looked at him? Or, or was it a look of anger? Betrayer. Or if you know Jesus, what do you think his look was? Anybody? Yeah, love, compassion, kindness. Uh, by the way, when you see Jesus dealing with sinners, you always see him being kind and compassionate. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing. But I believe Peter, he got the, the love from Jesus at this moment. That's my belief. But you can check out the DVD when you get to heaven <laughs> to see what Jesus looked. But, um, but God, you know, was Jesus disappointed in Peter? Anybody? I, I like that you guys are saying no because I've been trying to say this for years and there's still people that email me after I say stuff like this, but God cannot be disappointed and Jesus was not disappointed here. How is that possible? Because dis, by definition, disappointment requires being shocked, being surprised. In fact, if you read the dictionary definition of disappointment, it goes like this, sad or displeased because someone or something has failed to fulfill one's hopes or expectations. Did Jesus have hope for that Peter would not betray him or deny him that night? Jesus told him exactly what he was about to do and he was exactly right because Jesus knows all things. So Jesus wasn't disappointment, disappointed here. Um, I, I see Jesus as being compassionate here, knowing that Peter failed. Now, there's something that's really cool about this that again, that we can comparative gospels uh, and I, I probably shouldn't go into this, but it takes a lot of time, but I, I really have to show you this because did you know that Jesus prayed for, uh, for Peter about this very event. Jesus prayed about this event for Peter. How do you think Jesus prayed? Did he say, oh Lord, please help Peter not fail? Um, um, but Jesus told Peter, you're gonna fail. Um, how did Jesus pray? Well, we learn that again, Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. It says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. Now, how did Jesus pray for him? Check this out. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Not that you fail not, but that your faith fail not. This is important. And when thou art converted, now, now remember that phrase, when you're converted, you think, oh, when you become a Christian? That's not what he's saying. I'll show you in a little bit in a second. Uh, when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. Who's his brethren? The other disciples. Um, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny me, that thou deny that thou knowest me. So this is Luke's account of the story. And he says, um, he says that Jesus was praying for Peter that his faith fail not. Not that he would not fail, but that his faith would not fail. And when thou art converted, now if you look at the uh, ESV of the same verse, instead of saying when thou art converted, um, I, this is actually more accurate in what the original text says, um, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see, Peter's gonna fail and he's gonna turn the wrong direction. But Jesus said, but when you've turned back in the right direction, does anybody, can anybody think of a single word that that personifies, anybody? Repentance. Repentance means to do an about face and to turn 180 degrees. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, I'm gonna pray that your faith fail not. You're gonna fail, but I'm gonna pray that your faith fail not. And when you've repented from your failure, um, sin, call it what you will, when you've repented and turned again, go back to strengthening your brothers, the disciples, and Peter interrupts him and says, Lord, I'm ready to go both for prison and death and you know, blah, 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 which he thought he was ready to do. But Jesus said, no, you're gonna deny me three times before this night's even over. The difference between you failing and your faith failing are very huge. Um, you know, Peter's failure was not gonna be a fatal failure. Um, the car crash at 16 for me, it, it was not fatal. 
It wasn't a fatal f failure. And you know what? I got the car fixed, started driving. You know what? I've not been in an accident ever since. I drive quite well. <laughs> I've had some nice vehicles that I enjoy driving since my Volkswagen Type 3 accordion vehicle. Um, and, and you know what? Life goes on and I was able to, you know, you know not be afraid to drive. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, failure can be fatal, but it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, interesting, failure, uh, even when I was 16, failure can bring about dark thoughts, um, self-deprecating behavior uh, or thoughts, self-harm even, uh, suicide. When a person fails horribly in something, it's amazing how many people will actually commit suicide because of their own failure. Um, but you know, it's interesting, failure is not fatal unless you allow it to be. Uh, old Winston Churchill during World War II had some bad mistakes, different failures that he had made, but we look back on him historically as a great leader, but I, I love his, uh, his account for this. And by the way, he's my sixth cousin or something like that. I didn't believe that. My parents said, you're related to Winston Churchill. And then one of my family members did the whole family chart thing and uh, it's, it's actually true. See the re resemblance? <laughs> anyway, uh, when, when he said this, he said, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Um, and and I, I think that's really part of what got him through those dark days of World War II against the Nazis and Germany and all that uh, as a great leader. But this, this idea of failure not being fatal, um, this is that of the Christian worldview. I wanna show you how failure in your life doesn't have to be fatal and you don't have to let it be. It can be, um, but you don't have to let it be uh, fatal. And so let's explore that, then we'll pack it up. Number one, if you're jotting down notes, failure is not fatal if we remember that everyone else fails. Um, one of the problems when you fail is you think you're the only one in the world that failed, but it is helpful to realize that all of humanity is failure. We've all failed. Um, you know, Peter felt bad, but do you realize there were 11 others that night who also said, yeah, what Peter said, we will not, we'll not deny you. We'd go to prison. We would die before we'd deny you. 11 other guys said the same thing. Yeah, what he said, but they also, it says everyone, everyone fled from Jesus that night. Who was the top failure that evening? Yes, Judas Iscariot was the biggest failure. And I'm gonna say that, the reason why, not just because of what he did, but was, was failure fatal for Judas Iscariot? Yes, failure can be fatal. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? Well, you know, um, similarly, they're both in the same place of remorse. When you read the story, Peter weeps as in great remorse. We see Judas the same thing. He, he knew that he had sinned, and it even says he repented. But the word repentance wasn't the same word of changing your direction. He was just sorry he did that and, and did the wrong thing, but he wasn't really repentant of it. Um, one turned back toward Jesus, Peter, while the, the other went further away from Jesus, ended up hanging himself, falling on the ground, and his guts falling out on the ground. If you remember the story, it's a horribly grotesque story. So Judas was the one who had ultimate failure because what did he do? Instead of turning, repenting, and turning back to Jesus, he turns and goes the opposite way, and that's where fatal, fa failure will be fatal. God forbid that any of you uh, make that fatal error with failure. Um, so there's Judas who failed to uh, failure, but Peter failed, but we're gonna see him uh, pull up. And we read, uh, let, let's reread verse, in verse 31, you know, when it says there, likewise, they, uh, they also said they all, there in verse 31. Um, uh, one thing you have to be careful about is just because everybody else did it too, doesn't mean you should look at other faults and gloat over uh, what they did and condone what you're doing. They all failed whether it's Peter or any of the other disciples, we need to have a healthy view of failure. That's, that's what I would argue. Um, and Peter's teetering on despair. He's teetering as he's weeping. And, and if you realize the story, um, Peter doesn't just come right back to Jesus. It's, it seems like it's a little bit of a process. Um, now, by the way, not a healthy view of failure. If you're a type A personality and you're like, failure's not an option, if that's you, can I just warn you, you're the one who falls the hardest. When you do fail, you're shocking, you shock yourself. I can't believe I failed. It's some of the most resolved people and hardcore people that I've seen in life. When they fail, they're surprised by their failure. <clears throat> and, and they're sometimes the ones that, that fall hard and fail hard 
Um, but it's harder for them to come back too. I think Peter's that kind of a guy. He said that, I will never fail you, Lord, in that way. Now the Bible recognizes that we all fail and, and we all fall short. You call it failure, call it sin. It's kind of the same thing. Paul says in Romans 3, 9 through 12, what then, are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. This is what God says about humanity, that we're all sinners, we've all failed. Don't even come close. Um, it says in Romans 3, same chapter, uh, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone is a failure as it turns out. Now, Pastor Brett, didn't you learn self-esteem at your elementary school? Didn't they give you a pat on the back, give you a blue ribbon and say you're a winner and people like you and stuff like that? Well, that's just nonsense from the world. The, the Bible wants you and I to come to the conclusion we're all failures, we all fall short, there's no one righteous, no one that even really truly seeks after God. That's what the Bible says. And if you say, well, I seek after God, you're wrong. Not, not, in, not with a pure heart, not with pure motivation. Um, it's, it, when you realize the sinful depravity of humanity, you gotta kinda realize, don't be duped into thinking that you're better than you really are. Um, one of the b best things the Bible does is to knock that out of you. By the way, in the military, they do that. Uh, to, they first break you down before they can build you back up. Um, that's kind of an interesting process, but in some ways, You've gotta to come to that when you're a Christian and realize, oh man, I'm a horrible, wretched, miserable sinner who deserves death and hell. Then it's all good from there once you realize that because the Lord, he, his whole work is to save those who failed and to reach down and pull them up. That's what God wants to do. But unless you realize that you're in need of a savior, you won't be repentant. Um, praise the Lord, he doesn't just leave us in the state of failure. So the first thing that we recognize is failure is not fatal if we realize that everyone fails and we're all failures, everyone falls short. The second notion, failure is not fatal if we remember God's unconditional love. And this is so perfectly demonstrated <clears throat> in the story, <clears throat> excuse me, of Peter's failure. God is not shocked with Peter. He's not, uh, Jesus isn't you know, disappointed with Peter, but Jesus is gonna deal graciously um, with Peter's failure, as he will you. He deals graciously with you. In fact, the whole Bible, the story of Christianity is the story of failed men and women who found future in God's love. That's what it is. That's the whole story of, of Christianity. Um, you know, think about Lot, uh, Lot in the Old Testament. As I read that story, I can't find one good thing to say about Lot. I call him loser Lot. Um, talk about a failure on every level. He always did the wrong thing, just wrong, 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 failure lot. And again, one of those color, coloring stories you didn't color in Sunday school at the end. Because Lot ends up in the story, he leaves Sodom and Gomorrah after the angel had to drag him out of there. Um, and he goes, he also is in a cave, <coughs> but his two daughters are saying, oh no, we're not gonna have children and that's our, you know, we're in a bad situation. So they get their dad drunk, sleep with them, have children by their father. Horrible story. Loser Lot. Um, and those sons, by the way, of the daughters became Ammon and Moab, which would later become a, a mighty people. The Ammonites and the Moabites, which would be horrible enemies of Israel. <coughs> so, you know, Lot's a failure, but isn't it interesting? What does the Bible in the New Testament call Lot? Anybody remember? Righteous Lot or just Lot. You mean just Lot? No, like justified Lot um, or righteous Lot. How can you call Lot righteous? The answer God's love that he gives to a guy like Lot. Loser Lot gets to be called righteous Lot because of God's unconditional love for his people. Um, you know, uh, Romans 3 talks about all the failure stuff. I read you all those Romans 3, uh, all of sin, no, one, no one's seeking after God. But at the, toward the end of Romans 3, verse 24, uh, we're told that being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We all realize we're losers, we're sinners, we fall short, but there's three doctrinal words here that you really should know, justified. Being justified, that's just as if you'd never sinned. That's how Lot got his righteous Lot delineation because of justification, just as if he'd never done those wrong things. 
That's what God does. We can be justified freely. It doesn't cost you because it's by his grace. That's the second word that's huge. Grace is undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor God wants to show you. So justification, grace, and then the third word that's so operative is redemption. That's a financial term. It means to you know, purchase back. You, know, you sold yourself out to sin and failure, but the Lord loves you so much, he redeemed you, he bought you back. You sold yourself into the slavery of sin, but Jesus redeems you by his own blood, dying on the cross for the sins of the world. That's the gospel message right there. So, um, you know, Romans 5 uh, tells us this, that uh, concerning failure, Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we're in the middle of our worst sins and failures, Christ died for us. So Peter repented and turned back toward Jesus, which by the way, was the ultimate answer to Jesus's prayer for Peter in Luke 22, when he said, oh Lord, don't allow Peter's faith to fail. Um, I wonder if mom and dad, that'd be a good prayer for you to pray for your kids. Instead of saying, Lord, help my kids not to fail. Oh, they will, mom and dad. But maybe to say, Lord, help my kids' faith not to fail. That's what Jesus prayed for Peter. And Peter's faith didn't fail. He would turn and make that 180 degree uh, different uh, direction. And the question is, how do you respond to failure? How did David respond to his failure with Bathsheba? Um, he repented. Um, and what's interesting about repentance is, what does repentance look like? I have no idea. Um, I thought it looked like, you know, uh, the televangelist in the 80s that uh, was caught with a prostitute and he got on TV and he was weeping, I have sinned. And he seemed so broken. I was like, oh, wow, that's repentance. I remember seeing that as a kid. Thinking, oh, that's repentance. Well, three months later, he's caught again with a prostitute. I was like, well, that must not have been repentance. Then I read a story like David who uh, you know, commits adultery, thinks he gets away with it, murders the husband, does all this stuff, thinks he pulls it off. And then all of a sudden, Nathan the prophet comes and says, David, you're guilty of this sin. You, you've done this. And David said, I have sinned against the Lord this day. No weeping, no drama, no Hollywood crocodile tears. Just, I have sinned this day. And Nathan the prophet says, and David, the Lord acknowledges that and you are forgiven for your sin. That was repentance. It didn't look like it. He just said, I have sinned this day against the Lord. Um, what's the deal? See, repentance is an emotion. You're just looking guilty and saying, oh, I've sinned. And I no, repentance is a change of heart and a change of mind and going the opposite direction. And that's exactly what Peter would do. He'll change his direction. Uh, the, the, the Lord is doing a work of washing and cleansing. Psalm 51 David wrote about his own sin, this very sin I was telling you about in Psalm 51.1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercy, blot out my transgression. So to recognize your sin, to be broken about your sin, um, that's, that's important. In fact, being broken uh, before the Lord is part of the deal. In fact, um, Psalm uh, 51, just after he says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So you gotta be broken before the Lord uh, and repentant. And then failure um, becomes the Lord's unconditional love where he comes in and scoops you up. That's what he's gonna do with Peter. Um, and that's what we're gonna see in, in the third point. Failure is not fatal if we remember the lessons learned. So number one, failure's not fatal if we remember everyone fails. Failure's not fatal if we remember God's unconditional love, but failure's also not fatal if we remember the lessons learned. Um, do you think Peter learned a lesson about this? Would Peter ever deny the Lord ever again? No, in fact, Peter would be going down in history as one of the bold, brave. Just a few chapters later, when we get to the book of Acts, the same Sanhedrin comes to Peter and James and John and says, stop saying the name of Jesus. You know, these are the same guys that crucified Jesus. They have the power. And Peter says, we will obey God rather than men. And we're the person you crucified Jesus. We're gonna continue to declare his name. And, and this is the boldness now of Peter. No longer is he the denying failure, Peter. What happened? Well, before I tell you, you know, um, one of the things we need to do is learn from our failures. And I think Peter's gonna do that. Henry Ford in 1922 in a collaboration with Samuel Crowder, uh, Crowther released an autobiographical volume called My Life and My Work. But one of the more quotable lines of Henry Ford who invented so much about the, auto, the automobile and parts of the automobile, 
Um, one of the things he wrote is he said, failure is only the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. And that's what we have to do. Our failures are dumb things we did, failures, but you learn, you move forward in life. And if you accept failure is final, then you're finally a failure. But in the Bible, the failures, they don't accept failure. They get up and they move forward. Peter didn't accept himself as a failure. The best part of the story comes, check out Mark chapter 16, verse five through seven. For sake of time, I'll just show you kind of the quick highlight of this. Mark 16, um, after Jesus dies on the cross, raises from the grave, the angel meets the women there at the tomb and gives this message. Um, but we'll just do a quick version of this. Look at verse seven. Um, but the angel says, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said unto you. I love this because why did the angel give instructions to make sure that Peter was told? Like, why didn't you just say, just go tell the disciples? Of course that includes Peter. Why was there a special sort of, make sure and get Peter the message too. I don't know the reason why, but I can speculate. Was Peter elsewhere? Was Peter off doing his own thing? Because oftentimes our failure separates us from our friends, the people we should be hanging around with. What were they supposed to be doing? They were supposed to be going to Galilee and waiting for Jesus to appear to them. But they didn't do that. Peter was elsewhere. Um, did Peter need a little extra boost? Did he need reassurance that it was okay to show his failure face in front of Jesus and in front of the other disciples? Um, I think there are people that are not in church today because of their failure and they're afraid to show their face feeling they're a hypocrite. That's the condemnation we talked about earlier from the enemy. If you continue on with the narrative, in fact, you can jot this down in your notes, but John 21 verses one through 18, we have the account where Jesus actually appears and Peter's there. Peter, Peter told the other disciples, I'm going fishing. What was he supposed to be doing? Waiting for Jesus. He wasn't supposed to be going back to his old occupation. I wonder if Peter's failure, he was tempted to say, what a waste of three years. I followed Jesus only to fail my savior and my Lord. And now I wasted and now I better just go back to my fishing career. Jesus changed his career. He said, you'll no longer be fishermen, but I will make you what? fishers of men. They were supposed to be doing a whole different job. Peter says, I'm going back to fishing. And a bunch of the disciples said, yeah, we're going too. So Peter's out there fishing and in his old, trying to get his old thing going again, but he comes up with nothing. One of the great miracles of the Bible, Jesus says, yells out, hey, have you caught any fish? And they said, nothing. Great miracle of the Bible, honest fishermen. Oh, the one that got away, or they're nibbling, or whatever. No, they just said, ah, nothing. But meanwhile, they didn't realize until a little bit later, they realized, wait, that's Jesus on the shore. When Peter realized it was Jesus, he dove into the water and swam to shore and ran up to Jesus. And there Jesus sits down with Peter and kind of has this important conversation. We'll go into this deeper when we get to these passages. But Jesus says three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, Lord, I like you. <clears throat> and Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? <clears throat> oh yeah, Lord, I, I love you. Uh, then feed my sheep. Third time, Peter, do you love me? Was Jesus just being, was he rubbing it in? Or what was Jesus, I believe Jesus was giving him three times to, to affirm his love for Jesus because he denied him three times. <clears throat> but he's also giving him his marching orders. You're supposed to feed my sheep, which by the way, you know what that word is? That word is pastor. The word pastor means feeder of the flock. And that's what Peter was supposed to be. He was supposed to be pastoring, shepherding, feeder of the flock. And Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Then do what I've told you to do. You know, you're supposed to leave these nets, follow me and become a pastor. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, when you go back to your old ways because of your failure, you're gonna find nothing, but Jesus is where we find everything that we need. Um, now, um, as you go through that story in John, you basically realize uh, Jesus gives Peter that chance to come back um, and get up again. Failing does not make you a failure, uh, quitting does. If Peter would have just hung it up and quit, then even Jesus's prayer wouldn't have been answered, that his faith would have failed but Peter comes at this point and, he's, and, he, and from this moment of John chapter 21, verses one through 18, now we're gonna see a whole different Peter. I like Proverbs 24, verse 16, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. In other words, when you fall, you get back up again. 
Um, Oliver Goldsmith said, our greatest glory is not in never failing, but it's in rising each time we fall. <clears throat> now, there's interesting people I'm talking to in this room because I have a hunch there's a bunch of people in this room that knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's the old people in this room. The old people in this room, uh, those of us that are older with some more gray hairs, we've failed a ton of times. But the, the chances are, if you're here sitting in this church studying the Bible here as an older person, chances are you've, you've kind of seen what I'm talking about. And some of you can say a hearty amen. Yeah, just, you're gonna fail. Don't be shocked. You're gonna fail. You're gonna fail all kinds of times. But you gotta just keep getting up. The, 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 the older people get this one. The middle-aged people might be going through moments of failure. If you're a middle-aged person, you're finding yourself in a place of failure um, and you're tempted to give up and let go and bail out or do whatever. Like it's amazing the things we do that are going the wrong direction. Um, whether it's, you know, uh, throwing in the towel in business and joining with somebody you know you shouldn't be joining with, uh, unequally yoked with a, the wrong business, you know, and you're like, yeah, whatever, I failed, so. And you just bail off. And whether it's giving up on a marriage whether it's giving up on your kids, failure is not fatal if you remember God's unconditional love and, and you're also willing to realize that everybody fails and you shouldn't be shocked that you failed. <clears throat> but to get back up again and grab on to what Peter does here, repent, turn 180 degrees and don't go back. 180 degrees and serve Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. If you're in that place of life, man, let this be a splash of cold water on your face and don't let your faith fail. Now, if you're a younger person in this room, feeling like you're never, fail, you're never gonna fail, you will. <laughs> Trust me, you're gonna fail. You're gonna have failure in your life. Don't be shocked, don't be stunned, but be quick to turn to the Lord who unconditionally loves you and has a purpose and a plan for you. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church today. Let's pray. Lord, how we pray that you would give us ears to hear. I pray, Father, that we wouldn't just uh, see this story of Peter as his failure, um, but I pray that we would see it even in our own failures. I pray that we would not uh, fail in the area of faith, but put, put our trust in you. Lord, I pray that we'd not be weary in well-doing. You tell us in due season we'll reap a harvest if we faint not. So I pray that no one here would throw in the towel, give up, do the wrong thing, go the wrong direction. But I pray that we'd find ourselves getting up and serving you, putting our trust, not in other people, but putting our trust in you, who loves us unconditionally. Lord, for those who have not even accepted or know you as a personal savior, those who are still in their sin, and uh, Lord, I pray that they'd know their need to be saved and repent of their sins and turn to you and be saved that they would confess with their mouth their belief that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the grave. Give them a soft heart, Lord, to, to repent, to be saved. So Lord, we commit all this to you and pray your blessing on this congregation, both here and online. Give us ears to hear in Jesus' name, amen.